For those of you who might not know who I am, I'm Father Anthony Brausch, a priest of the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. I teach at the seminary. I'm the director of formation for the seminarians and the director of the permanent deacon formation program as well. I was out here for a couple years, well actually maybe four I guess. I'm very happy to be back out here again today. It's something of a strange day though in the church to be here on, given the fact that this is the last Sunday in which we're actually going to name Benedict in the Eucharistic prayer. This coming Thursday, if you celebrate Mass before 2 o'clock in the afternoon our time, you can say Benedict's name. At 2 o'clock, you can no longer use his name in the Eucharistic prayer, and you don't say anything. I have to admit, it's been something of a, of a strange idea to get a hold of this idea of the Holy Father stepping aside. And then, of course, all the things that are surrounding that, all the speculation, all of the apparent machinations, backroom dealings, scandal, perhaps even corruption, perhaps there being more than likely, in terms of the cardinals and their dealing with one another, and how this has precipitated perhaps Benedict's offering of his resignation because it's apparent to him that he can no longer control the apparatus. And it's disheartening. It's tough to see. And you begin to say, who's running this thing? And then, of course, there's the other pieces of it. The cardinals who were going to the conclave, but we wish weren't, and we wish they had the humility to step aside and not go. And then, as we think about all of those pieces, we think about the last number of years in which the church has been buffeted in the press by her own shortcomings, but mostly those shortcomings as exhibited by those who wear a collar. And we might be reminded or called to mind what we hear in our letter from St. Paul today when he says, their minds are occupied with earthly things and they conduct themselves as enemies of the cross of Christ. But we don't have to look far in the local area to, to maybe get a sense of that here as well. Nuns voting twice? Who'd have thought it? Right? I was going to say, and I'm sure she voted for Romney, but I won't say that. <laughs> but, and then the whole deal with the vice principal, taking a public stand, even though he holds a public office, taking a public stand against the church's teaching. But we could multiply cases, and we could look at those, and we could say to ourselves, perhaps they conduct themselves as enemies of the cross of Christ. But then we might be able to look a little bit closer, actually, to our own self and realize that our own holiness, our own desire for holiness, our own conduct might not always be in conformity with following Christ. We might not always have our minds firmly set on the things of heaven. We might not always have our hope and our surety 
in our citizenship in heaven and to live in that assurance that our lowly body will be conformed to his glorified body. We might not always live with that. And as we think about all of that together, we might have reason to doubt that the church is who she claims to be. And yet, coupled with this, of course, is the gospel, the transfiguration. The challenge is, are we able to see in the midst of the reality, not just overlook it, but in the midst of the reality, are we able to see the essence of what the Lord has called us to, the essence of who the Lord is, who his church is, his bride, his body, the holiness of the church, the immaculateness of the church, the holiness of its members. Are we able to see that? Is our vision such that we can see the glorified Christ in the midst of all this? And it works in the same way, but in reverse order. Can we see in ourselves the fact that even though we struggle, God's grace is alive, God's grace is working. And God does name us his own, his sons and daughters, and God calls me blessed. If I can see that reality, if I can know that I myself am fallen and struggle, and that my own holiness is not what it ought to be, and yet at the same time realize that God's promise is real and lives in me, and I continue to believe, then it's possible to see in the midst of all these other things that even though the church might be poorly led, she is not thereby forsaken. Even though her earthly leaders are fallen human beings, the man who she belongs to is not, but is the Son of God. We might be able to see then that in the midst of the tumult, the uncertainty, the waves, there is the surety of the one who walks on the water and comes and calls us to walk with him. And that's the vision of the transfiguration. That's what we're called to today and challenged to live in. Our first reading, I don't know if you caught the details, but they're pretty interesting. When Abram asked God, how am, how am I to know that I shall possess it? God answers, bring me a three-year-old heifer. That's a good size cow. A three-year-old she-goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Abram brought him all these, split them in two, and placed each half opposite the others, but the birds he did not cut up. So he splits these animals in two and lays them open side by side. And in Hebrew, the word is not to make a covenant, but to cut a covenant. And what they would do is they would cut these animals in half, lay the sides out, and then the two people making the covenant would walk between the animals, calling upon themselves that particular curse if they did not keep the covenant. So let such as this happen to me if I break this covenant. So 
God makes a covenant with Abraham in a way that Abraham's going to understand. Because this is how covenants were made. And yet, Abraham sees God himself show up in the midst of the flame, and Abram does not pass through, but God does. God calls upon himself the curse and does not expect Abram to walk through and call down upon himself the curse for infidelity. God says in this covenant, if my people are unfaithful, I will be faithful, and I will allow their infidelity to fall upon me, and I will pay the price. And then, of course, here as we approach this altar today, we know that he has, and we participate in God's fidelity. As we celebrate on this Sunday of Lent, we know that Lent calls us to renewed vigor in our own desire, our own practice of holiness, of communion with God. But we also know that we stand in communion with the God who continually offers himself for us so that we might live that life in him. That it is not simply us making it happen by our own efforts, by our own holiness, that God is faithful and God will continue to be faithful to his church. Because he made this covenant with Abram and he fulfilled it in Christ and he promised to Peter, the successor of whom will soon be elected, he promised to Peter, I name you Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not stand against it. And that is the promise we live in here when we come to Mass and celebrate the Eucharist. I'm also responsible in this homily to just mention to you that during the season of Lent we have the Catholic Ministries appeal. Our call to holiness, our prayer, our life we seek to lead such that the church herself is holy is the most important offering we can make to the church, to God, to the world. Period. There's nothing more important we can do. And yet the church has material needs. Her ministries have material needs, which of, of which you are well aware. And you have continually been generous in the past. And I know that the church, your church, trusts that you will be so in the future. I'm very happy to be here with you on this last Sunday in which we have Benedict as Pope partly because I was there when he was elected stood in the square was overjoyed and and now I'm sad so it's good to be here <laughs>